0: If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go: Mind Pump. Mind Pump with your hosts Sal De Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this instructional
1: and fun episode of the Mind Pump, you know, put your first, trainer hat on. That's it for the first 15 minutes. Uh, you know, we we do a little fun talk with each other. We talk about my new haircut. Uh, $25, not bad. Wow, uh, we talk steal. about the random compliments that we've received in the past. <laughs> if you want to guess who had the most random compliments ever given to them, and you guessed Adam, you will be correct. Uh, <laughs> then we talked about uh, his Achilles and update, and the genetic risk and belief study. It was kind of fascinating, which led us into the bulk of the episode, which was all about just the tips and tricks that we used as trainers to really maximize the effectiveness of people's workouts. So if you're a personal trainer, you're going to love this episode because we talk about the things that we talk, you know, like cues and stuff that we said to clients that help them feel muscles and be more successful. If you're not a trainer, you're going to like this because you're going to be able to pick up some of the stuff for yourself mm-hmm. for your next workout and it's going to make your workouts, again, much more effective. Try
2: these out.
1: Now, before we get into the episode, I do want to remind everybody that this month, MAPS Performance, which is our athletic-minded workout program. This is the program we designed to develop aesthetic balanced functional bodies, bodies that are strong, fast, bodies that have endurance, good mobility and flexibility. That program is 50% off, half off. Just go to mapsfitnessproducts.com and use the code GREEN50, G R E E N 5 for that discount. Also, if you're on that site you can check our other maps programs. We have quite a few of them. And they're all designed for different people, different people's goals, and different types of experiences. Again, go check all those out at mapsfitnessproducts.com. So, so you guys you guys didn't notice that I reverted back to my old hairstyle for a second?
3: I like it. Yeah. yeah. I
1: do the side to side. Yeah.
3: It looks good. It just, it's just handsome. Yeah. It looks like you got the uh, the better lady at Supercuts this last time.
1: It was a guy this time. Oh. Yeah. there's, there's everybody Everybody's good at that location except mm. for the googly-eyed old lady. Well, that's that why you got to wait it out. Do Dude. you get her a lot then or what? I've gotten her twice. <sighs> and she's, she's a nice lady, okay? So I don't want to say anything else. Right. You know, she's just a nice lady. But she looks like a, uh, what's that? Uh, like a chameleon lizard, Mr. Magoo. you know the um, eyes of the those lizards. How one eye goes this one way, right. and one eye goes another way.
2: Yeah, one's it's, just
3: kind of traveling somewhere else.
2: It's like that. Yeah. So yeah. I think
1: that that probably affects the so why judgment she, with so the so why
3: don't you like uh, why don't you wait? You know when I when I used to get my hair cut. Oh, I don't. I, I don't. When I, when I go cuts. in, if
1: she if she's up, I'm like, oh no, I'll wait for the next one. So the second yeah. one was your fault. the The second time I went, yeah. I was like, I gave her another chance, right? But it was like uh, the first time. I'll give you that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh man,
3: like that. Uh,
1: no, she's. I think she's got skill, but she, again, I don't
3: think she's got the. Do you think maybe it's because you're a bad tipper? No, Ooh. I'm a good tipper. Are you a good
1: tipper? Very good tipper. Really, very good tip. What's like? What's a what's a so nine dollar haircut tip? Look it's like? actually a twenty dollar haircut. Nine dollar? <laughs> I feel like it is. yeah. Where do you get nine dollar haircuts? Well, that's out there. Does that exist? exist? It yeah. did. When I would see now, when I, I, I want to go to a nine dollar haircut,
0: uh,
3: I used to get a nine dollar haircut. Throw a five dollar tip on that. Yeah. Whoa, you're like baller. I was fifteen, but I mean, I did. Yeah. When
1: my grandfather, when uh, my grandfather used to get a haircut, he used to ask for half price because he had half the hair. He thought that that dictated the the price of the haircut. Yeah, so it was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, no, 20 bucks. I don't know if you if you have if you know of a nine dollar haircut place. Well, back tell when, your boy, when dude, back the barber. Back when, when I used to do the bucks. the
3: super cut type of thing like you do, it, it was nine dollars. So it's it's gone up obviously since then. But that no. was well that was like the standard price no. for. Like, so this hair. is twenty bucks. Yeah, never under. $20 And I tip them
1: five bucks. Yeah, that's a fat tip for a twenty dollar haircut. Yeah, you're yeah, half.
3: You're halfway. You're
1: halfway there to
3: like a real hair salon. Why Don't you yeah. just commit,
1: bro? For, <laughs> I for for the price of one haircut, I get two. That's a big deal. Yes. Mm. <laughs> It's you know what I'm not, saying? You really gotta dope. get a legit barber, cause then they'll they'll yeah. mess with your beard. First too. of all, I don't even know why you go to a fifty dollar haircut place when you wear a hat ninety nine percent of the time. It makes no sense. Cause half of it's for On the, the off chance, half right? Of it's for the beard lineup. That's uh, that's what. Uh, so fifty dollars, you get a haircut and a beard lineup. Yeah. Oh. Do well, they straight no, actually, razor
3: it, or yeah. is it just that's a actually trim? not bad? No, she doesn't. She's a hair salon, right? So they don't they don't have straight razors. But she she lines it all up and fades it and does all that. So that.
1: I line up my own beard, and I didn't shave down here for. For, for a few days. I, but I line it professionally up done. And, and, and it's I, nice when you have
3: someone actually. Bro, else. let me tell you yeah. something.
1: I've had several people ask me who lines up my beard. That's how good of a job I do. Nobody asks you. That. Yeah, I, nobody. I've nobody, had nobody, several. That's a lie. I've had several people. <laughs> think about asking He's me. Like my I could tell, tell they wanted to. Oh, man. I'm so glad you called bullshit. Yeah. Like Nobody's asked I you could, that. I uh-uh. could tell. Uh-uh. That'd be a yeah. weird thing, huh? I know. <laughs> Excuse me, sir? Like, wait a minute. Where do you get your beard done? Yeah. Where's that? The weirdest thing I've gotten asked ever in my entire life. I've been asked I've actually that. had it asked twice uh, the, the weirdest thing that's ever been asked of me. What? I've had two separate people ask me what if I've had a nose job. I've told you guys this before. Are you serious? Two really? Two separate times, okay?
3: You have a gorgeous nose. Yes. Wow. And
1: And and both times- <laughs> Now it's all going to be thinking about. This it. is a 100%- I'm
3: staring at his nose now. When he's it's, wow. a, it's aesthetic. It the, is. Lots it's, of, it's very straight. Lots of protruding things It's
2: very beach. Mine's fucked up. No, so it's, no, no, It's no, 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 very no, beaky. I'm yeah. a little
3: jealous, to be honest with
2: you. Bro, a
1: beak is not a nose. <laughs> A beak. Yeah, you can Two cans, Sam. Like when you go to take a drink and you're just like, yeah, like <laughs>
2: always like dipping. You know, <laughs> like every time you <laughs> you take a frothy latte, yeah. you, you <laughs> can't. You can't have whipped it's cream on your, on your high I cocoa. S- I
1: smell it. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 One was a plastic surgeon who asked me. Whoa. Yes. That's like a super get compliment. Get yes. out of here. I swear on my life. At the gym. This is when uh, I managed 24 uh, on Santa Teresa. I actually believe this more. A, a, a dude comes up to me, and he's like, I got to ask you a question. I hope you don't mind. I'm like, sure. And he's like, "Do you did you get any work done on your nose? And I started laughing. I'm like, no. <coughs> I said, why do you say that? And he goes, because you have, he told me, he says, you have a very aesthetic no, it looks, as I wanted to ask you where you got your work Maybe, oh. Maybe that's
3: a, you know, if he's, he's a plastic surgeon. Maybe some Italian. Surgeon, maybe a little, no, 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 because he's a plastic uh, surgeon. That's just like us as, as, as trainers walking up to somebody you want oh, like, to sell training to. Oh, look at those calves. Hey, that's yeah. really good form right yeah, there. That's really exactly. good. You have, a, you have a trainer? You ever had a trainer? Oh, you've yeah. never had a trainer. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you yeah, about that. that. squad <laughs> is
1: on, on point. I don't know. I never lied to people like you did. Yeah. <laughs> I if I thought they had good form, no. Dude, I had,
2: I had some girl walk up and she was, she told me, like, was asking me if I uh, had what? What do you call that when you like curl your eye eyelashes up or like eyelash extensions?
3: I don't know. Oh. Yeah, if
2: I had eyelash extensions, and I'm like, do I look like a guy that's gonna have eyelash extensions? No, I totally you think don't. I do. But I that actually happened.
1: Yeah. yeah, a girl actually came up. She and literally said that. Said that. <laughs> wow, that's, that's I like probably, so I
2: batted them all day, just like
1: this. It it just, sounds flirty. Very yeah, flirty. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like was a flirty a thing. Flirty thing. Yeah. What's yes. a weird thing? I didn't you, know how to take it. You though. don't have any weird things come asked of you, Adam? My calves have been complimented. That's weird. That's, that's very... He's actually... Exactly that's yeah. fucking... Yes. You win. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you win.
3: <laughs> Swear to God, dude. It takes a cake. A couple times. Back when, back when they were looking like, you know, l- less bad... They were they were freaking. Uh, you know why? Because I, mean, I got veins, lots of veins. For sure. that's yeah. Why. Yeah. it's
1: because they were veiny yeah. and uh, and lean. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah. So yeah. And you know what's funny? In the, they stood in, out in public, lean gets complimented and noticed way more than big ever does. Right. So you that's can be skinny as hell but yeah. have like definition. People are like, dude. Yeah.
3: Well, there's no. De- Why are you so jacked? There's no. There was no denying that I was training them I mean, you can see that. It's just they were small. You know what I'm saying, but they were defined mm. you know, and lean and veiny, and so that I, I'd got compliments. That was actually those were the, the times when I was. I told Katrina like, oh, it's worth it. It's paying off. <laughs> it's worth yeah, it. Yeah, it's paying it's, off. It's actually. Happening. Yeah, I went from getting teased to actually getting a couple. But it's never the. It's never a guy. Let's be honest too. It's never a guy with like great calves that comes does it. It's the guy. that's fucking has shit calves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he sees it and he has the respect. He sees. He's he's
0: like, sees like, there's hope.
3: He sees the tiny ankles of mine. You know he's like, oh, this dude, this guy's worked really hard. Yeah. <laughs> he worked really hard for those 13s. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go compliment him, you know? yeah? Yeah. Like, thanks, yeah. bro.
1: That felt good. I actually <laughs> actually remember when that happened to you because you you I think you texted <laughs> oh, us right now. Yeah. You yeah, <laughs> brought it up on the show. You so, did. You yeah. really? yeah. actually text it's it's uh, it's in one of our episodes. It is it? Happened. Yeah, yes. it totally is. Oh, we talked about that. It one. impacted yeah. you, dude. It I think did. That's when you're doing <laughs> all the
3: BFR and all that, right? I would well there was a there was a point that I was like I mean, I was getting after my calves. I did not exaggerate the other day when we were talking on the show where I, I, there was times where I, it was was, a mission.
1: Yeah. I was was on there with you. Both (laughs) of us were doing
3: (laughs) it. I was was back and forth. I was going to the gym like today's calf day, you know, like all calves for an hour, you know. So there was, I was training. Bro,
1: I I gained about uh, over an inch on my calves and it took me about a year, which is okay. It doesn't sound that exciting but it is exciting though yeah Yeah, that's a big come on now no no
3: and I go back and forth I mean right now like I'm still I don't feel right with the Achilles Achilles thing is weird dude like I
1: you think it'll ever feel normal oh
3: dude I don't know like I was watching DeMarcus Cousins play right now because he's coming back from an Achilles injury and you can just see the way he moves and I was telling my, my buddy we were together last night and I was like he's like hey how's your Achilles doing man it's been over a year now and I said yeah I said, you know I can run and I've and I've done that and I you know I, and I feel fine lifting deep I've got good range I've worked on my range of motion but it just doesn't feel right like stable no not stable like it feels like it's and, and I've worked on the range of motion, so it's not like I don't. I, I have limited range of motion. It just feels tight, and like it, it feels like a dry rubber band. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. It feels like a like a really dry. It must be the
1: scar tissue. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, that's my best way to explain it. What it what it is is it just. What scares me is to do to to call on something explosive. Doesn't like, feel like it has the same resilience. Yes, uh, it's a little brittle. So there's, and of, of course, I know part of that has got to be psychological. I know that a part of it is just I'm scared and nervous because mm-hmm. the last time that I did something explosive, it, it tore tore it right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm sure some of that is uh, just my own doing of being mentally scared of doing that. But regardless, there I didn't have that with my knee when I tore my ACL and MCL. Once I rehabbed it and I started to feel good. I wasn't afraid of jump boxes, you know, lateral movements, and I was playing ball. It could be
1: if you did develop scar tissue, what ends up happening, scar tissue is very um, inflexible, and and it's not very pliable, right? Yeah. And so what happens is the tissue around the scar tissue has to increase its range of motion to make up the difference, if that makes any sense.
2: There's not a whole lot of blood flow through scar tissue. No. Yeah.
1: No, and not to tendons in general. Yeah. It's not like muscle. Right. So are you doing like any jumping, bouncing light movements to get yourself used to? Yeah,
3: absolutely. I mean, even yesterday, I don't know if you're, when we were waiting in line at Luna, you know, you'll see me doing like little calf raises, like little, I'll emulate like kind of bouncing on it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like I do, I do stuff like that. That doesn't, it's like what I'm afraid of is to call on everything I got. To do something like to explode up, like I haven't tried to dunk a basketball. Hmm. I haven't tried to cut left or right as hard as I can, or race, do a foot race. Like I'd be afraid if one of you called me out and said like oh, I'm faster than you. I'd be like, okay, you are. You yeah.
2: know, like I wouldn't. Yeah. Sounds tra- like an excuse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah We we're, were just gonna compete. Did you
1: tell yeah. them about the foot race we plan yeah. later? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to <laughs> get at. We're about to have a little marathon. Fuck, I knew yeah. that's yeah. wow.
3: No, it's like that. That stuff right now still, it still scares me. And I guess part of it too, it's just you. You, you can't help. And I'm sure this happens to every old man right he's just the risk versus reward it's oh, like yeah, you weigh that shit out yeah it's i mean I, I i'm snowboarding i'm doing things on it i'm deep deep squatting you saw I me i do today. think
1: that the, the the psychological aspect is such a you can't separate them no because yeah. you're right when you're younger you don't have a sense of you, you do more shit i think cuz you don't have a sense of danger oh, oh, the
2: fear is way less well
1: you just you're just oblivious like yeah. when the shit that i used to drive do in my car when i first got my license I mean, I would never even think about even attempting today because I know the dangers. But back then, I felt like it was... I didn't feel it.
0: I didn't well, feel Well, yeah, I'm
2: just driving the car, I remember there was these little turnouts, like in between trees, uh, and it was like a, a it was dirt, like dirt paths. And I would look at those as, yeah, I'm gonna go off the road just for a second and like spin my car and do like crazy shit, like in
1: between, get back on the road. Why would I do that? <laughs> no, that
2: no. That's the stupidest thing yeah, I've ever heard. It's the
1: testosterone, it's yeah. a slow acting poison. I uh, I actually posted a an article um, that was published uh, in December, so it's recent. And in the article, I got to read it to you. Really fascinating, actually. Actually, uh, it spurred me to put to do a post on my Instagram about the, you know, trying to separate the psychological from the from the physical, which is oh, impossible. that's right, you just did post about that, yeah. Oh. And, and the, it's, oh, here it is. So this was published on the tenth of December, um, two thousand eighteen, in uh, Nature Human Behavior, and it's basically the title of it says "Learning One's Genetic Risk." changes physiology independent of actual genetic risk and so what they found in this research is that when people would learn something about their genetic risk their fear over it or their belief over it or whatever would actually change their physiology to more closely match what they thought and they found there's other research that shows that so if you if you believe that you are inflamed or you believe that you're stressed or you believe that you have gut inflammation or whatever. Your physio- physiology will actually start to change reflect to reflect m- it, to match yeah. your belief in your. No, thought. that
2: makes perfect sense. We keep going down this thought process of like, and we start finding out how powerful the placebo effect, how powerful the human mind is, uh, and how. It, like integral that is with with how you heal and how you recover and all this type of stuff. It's like that makes perfect sense.
1: So I was watching this this documentary that was talking a little bit about this, uh, but more about some other esoteric stuff. But there was one point in the documentary that I thought was a fascinating way to illustrate kind of what we're talking about, because everything you experience is an experience. So there, there, there may be some objective things that happen. But you can't separate those from your the experience. The real definition you, of it. Yeah. You, you can't separate those from your experience of them. So like there's the physiological things that happen from pain, but it doesn't feel like pain until you experience it as such. And your brain literally is, is constantly creating your reality for you. And so the example they gave in this documentary is they said, it's like having a dream that you're arguing with someone or you're fighting with someone. Realize you're arguing with yourself. That is a person that you created in your own dream. That's your mm-hmm. creation of your own mind. Mm-hmm. So, and they said that that's kind of a great way to illustrate, uh, you know, how how our mind affects or experiences intricately connected to everything about our our physical. What happens to our physical bodies? And as it's funny as trainers, and I, and I was thinking about it as being a personal trainer, as I learned more and more that that piece, that psychological piece, changing my client's experience was was everything. It was everything. I could give them all the answers in the world, but until I changed their experience of things. oh
3: dude, what a great transition into what I wanted to talk about today, which is you know sometimes we have these videos that we've posted I know on YouTube and uh, we had a we had a an exercise in the starter program uh, that I think I recommended, which was the the kneeling um, uh, uh, kneeling, kneeling lunge. get up lunge. yeah, the kneeling the kneeling get up lunge. And, you know, and rightly so people ask like, you know, why, why, why did you put that in there? And this is where it gets challenging. I think sometimes, uh, and I remember when I did the bicep video and I talked about a split stance and pulling your shoulder blades back and keeping your shoulder blades back and not allowing any sort of movement in your shoulder. And I got a lot of, uh, you know, fucking people talking shit about the function of the, the bicep as if I don't know. And you know what that was is a, a is, was a trainer trick that I have learned over years of training, lots and lots of clients that didn't matter how many times I explained the mechanics of a bicep curl to them or showed them or grabbed them and, and put them into the correct place, they, you just have this natural tendency to want to rock the shoulders and the elbows to go up and do a curl. And what ends up happening to a majority of beginners that are learning the movement, is the shoulder takes over more of the movement than it should. And so it's a it's a trick that I teach. Um, or I don't even like trying to teach. It's just a, it's a strict mechanics that I teach to teach a client to get good behaviors to activate the muscle that I want. And unfortunately, I can't. Argue it based off of anatomy with somebody who's- oh dude so
1: cues are everything right yeah. so
3: and 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 to me like that it, it, that trumps the, the those types of arguments. It's like listen, you, you know, go train uh, hundreds of people and you know explain to them like you are. And then let me take those people and see what a difference is. And it was funny because Doug was like, "Man, that was crazy." I watched that video Adam, him, and, and you know, I've been lifting forever. I understand mechanics, everything, and that subtle adjustment. I feel it in my biceps so much more. I'm like, exactly. That's and that's what I have you le- found. And
1: you learn that through experience, right? And there's yeah.
3: there's like a lot of things like that that we. And I feel like sometimes we are careful not to talk about it because again, it becomes debatable. I mean, you go th- go through all the. The major muscles in the body and I bet you there's a a, a tip that I give that is um, may make sound like it contradicts uh, what what we were taught in our our textbooks on how to teach well
1: okay so here's a good example of what you're talking about uh, this is a very easy example and it's a cue that if you're a trainer or if you're if you're not a trainer if you're just listening and you like doing this exercise think of this cue next time you do that exercise and just watch the difference in how you feel and it's really It doesn't change your form in in the sense that it makes it a new exercise. It's just because you're thinking of the movement differently, it tends to promote a better uh, recruitment pattern. And this is with a lat pull-down. Like when when someone's doing a pull-down, what you're you're telling them to do is pull your shoulders down and back, squeeze your shoulder blades, pull them down, activate your lats. You do all these different things. And then you can just tell someone, hey, rather than pulling the bar down to your chest, imagine you're pulling your chest to the bar. Mm-hmm. A very 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 simple basic cue, boom, accomplishes instantly accomplishes
2: like five different cues in one, you know, like real simple way to think about it. Well, and it and instantly what, changes the, yeah. the,
1: the how they feel it. Well, and what you
3: understand about a lat pulldown when you've taught so many lat pulldowns to so many different body types is what's difficult about it is the mechanics that you're trying to teach somebody, retracting the shoulders and depressing them is already Counterintuitive for the average person because yeah. we are rolled forward, so it's already counterintuitive what you're trying to tell them to do. Then on top of that, you have something pulling in the opposite direction. You're doing a lat pull down, so then then the the weight is pulling them and exaggerating what's already natural and more comfortable for them, which is the rolled forward position. Mm. So when you're trying to teach a client who that is already counterintuitive to and then on top of that the cable machine is pulling in a direction that is making that even more difficult mm-hmm. learning to cue them and give them little subtle tips and i would actually take that further i would take the lat pull down bar and i'd actually you know i'd put my hands right over their hands and I'd, I'd be standing behind them and i'd pull them down and then i would stop
1: and then say pull your chest yes. to the bar, and
3: i would stop yeah. at like mm-hmm. six inches four to six inches from the bar from their chest and i'd say now don't Pull the bar down, now lift your chest to the right. bar. And then they would do that. And then all of a sudden you'd see their shoulder blades whoop retract yep. back and go down. And you're like, the most
2: impactful part of the lift, anyways, that last those last couple inches to really get that the lats engaged in, in the process, which is what we're trying to do. So yeah,
1: it's it's uh I, I did this with the bench press with my son. Is I, you know, you're you're trying to teach someone to pull their shoulders down and back. And what I'm telling him is I'm like, stick your chest out. Stick your chest out, bring your chest up to the bar. Then it's easier for him to understand after that, pull mm-hmm. the shoulders down and, and, and pull them down you know, pull him down and back. Now he's – because his tendency, like everybody when they first start pressing, yeah. is to want to roll their shoulders forward.
2: That's the hardest thing to teach is the, the intrinsic sort of uh, stabilization and what they should be doing while they're just trying to accomplish the movement because uh, half the time we're just trying to get their body to stay stabilized and stationary, like how we want them in good posture. And so to be able to have really simple cues of where it can direct them – quickly to get in proper position is super helpful
1: no and, and these cues really is just working with the, the the person's psychology it's not really changing anything else but right just getting yeah. them to understand that's
3: what makes it hard because you we i think that's what we're addressing we're, we're addressing more of the psychological part than we are uh you know the, the, the biomechanical yeah the, exactly that, and that's the
1: hard which, which gets them to the intent of the exercise well here's here's a great example and this is silly this is a silly thing but it's fucking real and it's true and anybody who's train anybody for a long time, or a Group X class instructor will tell you that this works. If somebody has 15 reps left to do of an exercise, if I break that up into small pieces, I swear to God they perceive it as less, 100%. Oh, yeah. If I go, you got 10 left, then I go, 10 Nine, eight, and I go all the way down to one. People are dying. Well, see, you're already it, counting backwards too. That's another psychological that's, trick. That is, that is yeah. no. Or if I say you have ten left, that's five plus five. Five, you know, we go up to five. Oh, five is just two and three. Let's go three more reps. You only got two left. It's like it pushes yeah. people, motivates them, it breaks them up into small. It's all a psychology, and these are all the small tricks that you learn, and you can use these on yourself. It's funny too. Like uh, another example, um, I've, I've gone hiking a few times. With Jessica, and I don't like heights, like super, super high heights. And I find that when I'm climbing on certain things, my balance is worse. But it's funny because I'll imagine that if I'm standing on something and I have like my foot fully on a step, if I imagine that I'm not on a height and it's just all level, all of a sudden my, my balance is much better. It's the fact that I perceive that there's this drop-off that yeah. changes how I feel. Yeah. And so it, it, a, a good example for clients in, in changing how people perceive things. When people have issues with nutrition, and they say, "Oh, I, you know, I have trouble not eating cookies because I know I can't have them," if if they just change how they look at the cookies and think to themselves, "Well, uh, I know I'll enjoy them, but I don't want them," it, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Before you know it, they have no issues with avoiding whatever it is that they're that they don't want to eat. Did but you I,
3: did you guys struggle with chest when you guys were growing up? Was that a, was that a hard that was a hard one for me. Activating chest? Yeah. Uh, that took me a very long time. I had like a That was more back for me, I think. I had a very um imbalanced chest so I had one that was way more pronounced than the, the other side and it was off for many many years and and, and I didn't know why as a young kid who was getting mm-hmm. into lifting and, and pushing like I just was not working my chest properly and my mechanics were off and and then I would develop my chest but then it was still Developing uneven like that, mm. and I never had somebody or didn't have anybody for a very long time. Like really teach me the importance of retracting my shoulders. In fact, I was part of the camp early on that was that thought that having a flat back was was better for you on a bench. Oh, that was right. a myth
1: that lasted for a little while. It did it?
3: even mm-hmm. pulling the yeah the feet up on the bench. So it like yes, created that flat. Yes, so I I was looking for a flat back, mm. which is awful to 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 point to tell somebody because when you flatten the back out you promote that rounded or forward shoulder Mm -hmm. and and you're asking
1: for shoulder problems
3: yeah it makes it even worse so i was uh, and i always thought when you saw i saw like you know olympic or when i looked at uh, power lifters and they had this excessive arch i was taught that was so bad and so wrong When in reality, like their their mechanics when it comes to doing a chest press is far better than the average person that you see in the gym. And part of that is because they exaggerate that retraction and the lifting of the chest up Mm -hmm. like you that you said as a cue Mm -hmm. uh, so much that it creates this major arch in the low back. And people would try and hammer that as it uh, as it's unsafe. So I fell into that belief and that just promoted, like, poor mechanics for a yeah. very long time. For me. I,
1: I learned how to feel my chest with flies uh, before I could learn how to feel them uh, with a bench press. Mm-hmm. Partially because I didn't have a lot of muscle. Um, you know, I was 14 or 15 years old at the time. And, and, I noticed, and I noticed this with clients, too, especially ones that don't have a lot of muscle, is that they first have to develop the muscle before they can feel it. So if there's, like, very, very little muscle, it's hard to feel, right? And so... But flies is how I did it. And I remember specifically reading, and I don't remember which magazine it was. It might have been Flex Magazine. And there was a picture of uh, Lee Brada doing incline flies. And Lila Brada, was, uh, he was a bodybuilder in the, in the 90s. He was known for his symmetry and all that stuff. And I really liked him. I thought he had a great looking physique. And in, when he's doing the flies, I noticed that his rather than having the dumbbell, the palms totally face each other, so where you're kind of taught to have the knuckles face each other almost Mm -hmm. his pinkies were turned out a little bit so when he
3: he opened right
1: when he opened his pinkies turned out a little bit and so i thought that's kind of weird let me give that a shot and what i noticed when i did that is it because really the hands aren't what's important when you're when you're doing the flies or, or a press or whatever it's really with the elbow, elbows yeah. yeah because the pecs attach but up that, the upper that, arm that
3: that move in the wrist cue the elbow yeah cuz right. cuz if
1: cuz if i turn my if i turn my my pinky out it kind of opens up my elbow mm-hmm. and I, when i did that i noticed i felt more of a connection to my pec and that was a cue that i taught clients for years as a trainer was rather than have the palms come out which sometimes Can encourage the hands to you know for the for the arm to kind of externally rotate right where the where the hand where the elbow comes in the hand comes out and you'll see people do flies like this turn them out a little bit and it encourages that open position.
2: Yeah, I didn't have as much problem personally like uh, you know feeling my chest get involved, but at the same time like I was very much watching like the powerlifting and and athletic type lifts to where I was going like, uh, you know, like on a one, one, one explosive yeah. tempo to where I wasn't paying attention as much, uh, mechanically to what was going on. And so for me to then articulate to my clients, it took some, some thought and some work on my own to slow down and to really connect, uh, to the process. So, uh, one trick that I found that was good to not just set them up properly, cause that's everything is, is setting up their shoulder blades and getting them in that position everything. where, you know, they're retracted, they're, Open, they can get their chest fully expansive. Uh, because I was all about like I have to get the bar all the way to my chest. Like I have to, I had to like touch my chest and then go. And so, um, you know, just to get to that level for my clients, but do it, you know, gradually. Uh, I would have them grab the bar, uh, you know, at a decent width, but then I would have them actually as they squeeze the bar, they're squeezing and kind of pulling outwardly as they're coming down. So that
1: was... So it's like they're trying to separate their hands on the way trying down. Trying
2: to separate their hands, which helped them to sort of activate, uh, y- you know, and like in between the shoulder blades, get the rhomboids sort of, you know, and stabilizing and helping the the process on the way down. And then now squeeze and kind of push, uh, y- you know, the hands and in, in the in towards uh the middle so And they're way, not
1: they're not sliding but that's the movement that you're that's the tension you're The creating. irony is, that, the tension of
3: is that that cue is such a solid cue to help somebody activate their chest that somebody went and made a fucking bar yeah, out I've of it. Yeah, I've seen it. You oh, said really? sliding handle. Oh yeah, there's a oh, it's, course. It's sli- it slides and that's exactly how they teach on there is to to teach that. So yeah. that's really funny. I think that what your point of the the retracting and, and the pulling down of the shoulders in a bench press is everything to me and that was I remember when I finally learned that, then the next key was just because I knew it was actually to perform it correctly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because, okay, now I understand that I have to keep my shoulders retracted and peeled back in order to keep it all in my chest when I bench press, but then it's really easy to say that, but then the body still goes back to, especially when you're lifting heavy, it just says, okay, get this weight off of me. And naturally what ends up happening is we tend to roll forward because that's more advantageous for the body that's been rounded forward for so long. So I began to... And this was before we created Prime. This was a long time ago, which is also why uh, when we created Prime, I was like, man, this is, to me, the things that we, we put in Prime are, are, are part of this type of stuff, these type of cues and the things that are little hacks that we used. And for me, the bent over row... Because you're already at a, at a, if you're at an incline, you're at a flat bench, you, you're at the bar, but the barbell's right there. And it's just a light weight. It's 45 pounds for me. So rowing, that's nothing. So I peel it off every time I bench, uh, whether it's incline or flat. And I start off with like, I do a completely bent over, like at 90 degrees, and do a 15 to 20 light rep, you know, get, a, get my lats and get my rhomboids peeled back and get a little pump there so I can feel them. So it's easier for me when I go in there because you get a little bit of a pump to actually feel that. It's tough to do that if you go in cold and start pressing when the body, again, wants to be rounded forward because that's how we are all day Yeah,
1: one thing I used to do with uh, clients a lot too is I would just put their bodies into position um, and and hold it there while they moved to give them a feel of what it feels like. So someone would lay down on the bench press. I'd have them you know, stick out your chest. I'd say, okay, make sure your lower back isn't on the bench, but your hips are on the bench. Then I'd take my hands, I'd put it on their shoulders while they're holding the bar, and I'd push them down, and, and it, I'd push their shoulders down and kind of push it towards their, almost like their back pockets. And I'd hold their shoulders there while they bench press. And it would help them get used to moving with their shoulders stabilized in a retracted mm-hmm. position. Right. Once they got the feel for it. It's one of those things that's like, it's once you feel it, now you know what to do. Right. It's, yeah. it's just getting to feel it is the hard part. That's the that's always the challenge as a trainer is getting someone to feel what you're trying to get them to feel. Once they feel it, they know what to do. That's part of I'd say probably fifty percent, hundred percent. That's priming, you reinforce it after That's that.
3: why I like the you you brought up the the chest fly on the incline. Huge fan of teaching somebody uh, incline flies to feel it in their chest because the angle that you're at because you're on a forty five degree bench. Gravity's going straight down, and the cue that you're saying that you want, which is retraction and depression of the shoulders, right? right? It's 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 naturally pulling you in that direction. That's, I mean, you're, you're using gravity to help out the cue that you want, mm-hmm. which is that retract the shoulders, put them in your back pocket. Well, when you're on an incline bench, you know, when you cue someone that or you roll them there, it kind of helps because gravity's mm-hmm. already naturally helping keeping them there. Much easier to cue that than on a flat bench, where it it promotes kind of the rolling forward. So I love to teach uh somebody who has a hard time feeling in their chest uh, incline type moves, which would be counterintuitive I think for as a train as a young trainer because I would think, well that's more shoulders are getting involved. Why would I want to teach them an exercise that, you know, k- get kicks in oh, more the shoulders? Because
1: you're on the incline. Yeah, because you're
3: on incline. Yeah, so, it's
1: just the easier easier form. To yeah, into. for those reasons, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because
3: gravity's coming down and then your your cue is to retract and depress yep. the shoulders down. That naturally helps. That where as a trainer, a young trainer, mm-hmm. I would have thought, well, no, if my client can't fill it in my chest, uh, putting them on an incline is not going to help that. That's going to make them feel it even more in their shoulders. But that's actually wrong. It's actually mm-hmm. helps them if I'm cueing correctly to actually fill it in their chest more. Yeah,
1: back was a uh, getting people to feel their back muscles. I would have to say is probably one of the more challenging yeah. uh, parts of the body. Because people don't see those muscles, so they can't see them working. Just disconnected. Totally disconnected. It's a very difficult one for people to feel. And so there's a couple tricks that I would use to, to help people be able to connect to their back muscles. Um, one of them, just I would put them on a cable row machine. I'd have them sit up nice and tall, um, stick out their chest. They'd grab the cable they pull it back and i'd put my hands, uh, one of my fingers right in between their shoulder blades and i just tell them to pull to pinch my shoulder blades mm-hmm. then when they bring the bar forward i'd let say i'd tell them go ahead and let your shoulders round forward i'd want them to feel the contrast of the shoulders rounding versus the shoulders pulling back and then the other thing that i would do which which really you know and this is something again to help someone connect this isn't how you want to do your rows or your your back exercises is i would tell people to take a looser grip a lot of times this mm-hmm. real tight full grip just gets people to bicep the hell out of their rows and their pull downs, whereas I would have them do this kind of, you know, thumbless hook grip, and I'd say, okay, I want you to pull this with by without trying to squeeze hard or trying to activate your biceps, almost like you're just pulling with your elbows. That's the other one I would use. Hmm. Pull the weight with your elbows, don't pull it with your with your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would see people, and it would go super light. I mean, I'm talking five, ten pounds uh, at the most. Just getting them used to. Pulling with other than their uh, biceps, and then once they start to feel their back connecting, then we could add weight.
2: Yeah, I I I tried doing like similar things like that, but uh, also too just like the overall function, like getting the shoulder blade to just. Uh, retract was everything, so I wouldn't even have them bend their elbow a lot of times and just work on that one mechanism, that one movement. It's like a back shrug. Yeah, it's like a back shrug, but I'm I'm trying to because the the tendency was always to bend and pull and tug, you know, and get that bicep involved, and then you know. I, I would take them from there to then uh, trying to, to to prod them obviously with with my fingers like in between there to to feel the process as they then re, they they rode back and then they retracted their shoulder with it. So
1: it's funny because um, you know the human your body understands movement doesn't necessarily understand muscle so it's something you have to learn. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is if I tell someone to lift something up over their head or push something in front of the body or pull something or or you know lift something off the ground they're not thinking what the body doesn't think what muscles to activate. At least you're not conscious of it. Like I'm not conscious ever when I move of what muscles I'm supposed to be working. It's something that has to be taught. So if I'm teaching someone to do an exercise, I am teaching movement that's very important. And the proper form will encourage the right kind of muscle activation. But it's also important to learn how to feel what muscles you're trying to work yeah. because it. You want to have. The, you want to have the, all that connection.
2: So you have the ability. I, I remember the great example. I think you might have brought this a long time ago. Was when you're going to like lift something up overhead, right? And you see a lot of times people just raising their heels and then lifting. How often does that happen? Off with their heels and not even their arm all the way fully extended.
1: Isn't that funny? Yeah, and, and it's a trip. Yeah, I remember the, the when I first put that together because it's a common thing with clients. You'll have someone do an overhead press who's new. And they get on their and tippy you, toes. And you, yeah, and, and they just naturally, as they get to fatigue, they start to come up on their toes. And I remember thinking like, what the hell does the calves have to yeah, do? Yeah,
0: what's And they're not help?
1: boosting it. It's not like they're using a push press. You just see them kind of uh, want to come up on their toes. Yeah. And then it dawned on me, what they're telling their body to do is lift something <laughs> as high as they can. Right. And because their shoulders are fatigued, their body instinctively lifts it higher by activating they 're logical they 're calves, yeah, yeah, get body. up on your toes, like putting something on a shelf, so just because i can 't straighten my arm out now i 'm going to lift with my with my toes to get that you know where I want it to go, so that 's why it 's so important to become aware of the muscles that are being activated, how to utilize them, how to move them properly, how to activate them. Um, and then on top of that, of course, you know, perfect your form yeah, and
2: some certain things like if, if I'm a trainer and I'm trying to think about what action I'm trying to, uh, really produce, I, a lot of times I'm thinking about to where I'm trying to anchor the body. So like where I'm trying to make sure that i have leg drive, or I have things that are like bracing me and holding me in, in a better position so that I can be more efficient and more effective with whatever I'm trying to do, even if it's my upper body. Um, so I'm always trying to think of those things um, you know, like where I could like best cue, even if we're talking about the bench press, like when I started to actually anchor and and provide more leg drive, uh, within my bench pressing, like I could get so much more out of
1: that it. That was a big one. I, um, I forgot who it was that I, I learned that from, but I've always heard that right. Drive, leg drive, leg drive. I remember thinking, what do my legs have to do with the bench press? They're, they're, they're on the floor. I'm not lifting anything with my legs. It's my upper body my entire, up, it's basically only my upper body that's lifting the barbell besides my legs keeping me from rolling off the bench, which I'm fine with doing. What is it with this like activate and push through your legs? And then I had a, a, I don't remember what it was. It was either something I saw on YouTube or somebody talked to me and they said, you know, if you try and squeeze something as hard as you can with your right hand, but keep your entire body relaxed, you're not going to squeeze as hard as if you squeeze with your whole body. Mm-hmm and that's true everybody knows that if you try and crush something as hard as you can with one hand you will instinctively tense up your face and tense up your other hand and your legs because the CNS actually outputs more more power that way and so when you're lifting a weight um, you know learning how to, how to connect to the muscles you're trying to work with is one thing but then when you're trying to move weight I'm trying to ground yourself it's, a, it's yeah. important to, to turn yourself on yeah. yeah, turn things on like with your feet you know how often your feet off when you squat Mm -hmm. they used to be off when I used to squat now I know like feet need to be turned on Mm -hmm. oh I even I even like wiggle my toes
3: in my shoes before you know for if I'm squatting barefoot I kind of like grip the floor before I even get into it so you can make that connection to the ground
1: here's a great cue for push-ups uh I learned this one a long time ago You know, you get sometimes you'll get people who say they can't do push-ups because it hurts their wrists. Mm-hmm. Tell them to grip the floor. Yeah, like, like push outward. Yeah, a lot just of things, like just, a just like they're trying to grab the floor. Yeah, and and for a lot of people they don't feel pain in their wrist. That's the
3: other thing too is like learning the cues. I think it's just it's also learning what you the common. Issues or common mistakes that you that you see. There's always going to be the exception. There's always going to be somebody who's listening who's like, "Oh, that's a terrible cue. I don't need that." does well, okay, well, great for you. You're the one percent. Then there's everybody else. And talking about back, you know, I love giving the the controversial stuff. So I'm going to try and do that on all these that we talk about today. <laughs> the stuff that I get the most shit for, but I also know helped out the most people. And a cue that <clears throat> academia loves to come after me when I talk about this is uh, stick the butt out and. It's just when you think of uh, the ugliest deadlift, the ugliest bent over row, the ug- the ugliest single dumbbell row, if I asked you guys to envision what that looks like. Ninety-nine percent of them have this lower rounded back. right It's like if you you can just you can just picture that guy or girl rowing some dumbbell, right. and they have the, their their their, right. their back is completely rounded, and their and they're pulling or bending over to do a row, and they're completely rounded. Right. When you think of the deadlifting, you know the ugliest mm-hmm. the ugliest deadlift, the ugliest row, and the ugliest single dumbbell row, they, they all have the same thing in common. Mm-hmm. Super and, protracted, yeah, and they and they've rolled and rounded the mm-hmm. the shoulder and the like low their tailbone is tucked. Yes, up. and the tailbone tucked under like a dog trying to take a shit yeah. and so the cue is to Shiver, stick shivering. stick the butt shivering. out so before before my my client hinges at the hip to go into a deadlift or hinges at the hip to go into a bent over row or hinges at the hip to go into a single dumbbell row I cue stick your ass out so i'll go stick your ass out first so they kind of exaggerate that like where they put their butt out and then I say bend over. And what that does is it automatically starts to support that low, that lower back and it keeps them into this nice level it's, neutral But it's
1: support. not just low back support. It's, it's also allowing for a full contraction of some of the muscles of the right. back, including the lats. So yeah. think of it this way, okay? Uh, when you look at the lats, they, they span over much of the back and they kind of cover part of the ribcage. When your back is rounded – that muscle can only contract so much because it has to spread out over the rib cage. When you arch the low back a little bit and pull the shoulder blade back, now we're allowing for a full contraction of the lat. So you can't really get a full squeeze of the lats without some of that arch in the low back, without some of that butt sticking out. Right. So people with the rounded back trying to work their lat, yeah, they're still working the lat, but it's not nearly... To the full range of motion that it's capable of wow. and you just don't feel it as much now the reason why they have you'll have problems uh sometimes with sticking the butt out is in we have people with really strong arches right in which case i'll tell people hey if you feel any shearing in your low back if you feel any pinching your low back all you got to do here's a great cue one of my favorite cues brace your midsection and people will be like well what does that mean i'll be like pretend like i'm gonna poke you in the stomach and i'll go pretend like i'm gonna poke them and they, huh! like yeah. that's it right as soon as you brace your core the that low back shearing or whatever it goes away right right and that's that's by the way one of my favorite ways to cue someone to to tra- to tighten their core you tell people to tighten the core and they have no idea mm-hmm. what you're talking about yeah. literally go to poke them in the stomach and it just automatically yeah. <laughs> it just automatically that's all you have to do oh that's what you mean tap, yeah that's what you mean by bracing. external yeah feedback that's yeah. a big one
2: one for me that uh, for overhead pressing um, I I tend to to try and separate from um I'm using using the the barbell and using uh you know sort of sort of a bilateral uh press where I'm I'm working more on unilateral um so one at, arm at a time one arm at a time and really just trying to work with the natural pathway that um if I'm lifting overhead my my body's natural uh tendency is to want to rotate uh you know at the wrist at the elbow and then into the shoulder and I feel like that one, this is something I took from from Mike Boyle, and the way that he actually like starts somebody out is with a rubber band, and so you step on the rubber band. And I'm trying to create this vertical pathway to to get to. And so as I'm pressing, so if I start right next to my chest and I'm pressing straight up, it has to be as vertical as possible. So I have to have to naturally start rotating into the band, and then my elbow extends all the way to the top, and then I keep it right next to my ear. So, so what do you?
1: What are your? What's your cue for a client? Just keep it keep it as straight as possible. As
2: straight and vertical as possible. And yeah. so then your body will just naturally rotate in towards the band, and then you get that full extra. External rotation, and then on the other side of it, IQ, like making a fist. As you as you retracted the shoulders and you're in good posture, I'm going to squeeze that fist as I'm pressing. So now that's anchoring uh, my other shoulder, and I'm keeping in good position. So you're squeezing the overhead. fist of the
1: hand that's not lifting. Yeah. Oh, I like that.
2: And then that naturally just takes care of the whole I bracing. I like
1: that because cord. you're automatically activating the other side, whereas some people might want to keep that side relaxed, which is right. probably not a good idea. Yeah, that was a game changer for me with the shoulders because I, when I learned how to do an overhead press as a kid, the way bodybuilders did them in the magazines, or at least the way it looked like yeah, it was- Yeah,
3: dropping to 90 degrees, looking up at the bar. Yeah,
1: the, the elbows were always at your side. I did that forever, yeah, by and, the way. Yeah, and, and I'm going to tell you something with the shoulder mechanics. Um, now, you can have really good shoulder mobility and you can get away with it if you're stable and all that, but for most people, if you're going to come all the way down with a barbell- the the natural position for the elbow is under the hands and more towards the front of the body, mm-hmm. not way out to the sides. You bring them way out to the sides, and what you're asking for is this, you know, in, in technical terms, this external rotation of the arm, which is kind of setting you up for problems.
3: I hate that way for shoulder pressing and did it myself for 10 years, for sure, of my lifting career. And what I hate is that there's still this uh, thought behind it that it's a you know, better time under tension and it's better for developing the shoulders and the guys that are and my shoulders look better when I was taking them through full range of motion Always, when of I course. was but I had to go weight I had to humble myself and go a lot a lot lighter weight because mm-hmm. if you have been training that way like I had been for a long time I could I could bodybuilder shoulder press 225 over my head no problem uh, but taking that all the way down the bar down to my chest and lifting it all the way up, full full extension over my head. Shit, I couldn't do no two twenty five like I, that. I was lucky, I think, to get up to like one eighty five. A lot more distance to cover.
2: Oh yeah. yeah.
1: In, in fact, i I teach when I teach clients how to do an overhead press. I either a have them hold the dumbbell with a neutral grip—that's where the palm faces in—or mm-hmm. I teach them how to do the the rotating Arnold press with the right. dumbbell. I never teach them with the dumbbell their hands facing forward. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna do hands facing forward, it's a barbell, and then I'm teaching them more with mechanics. But it's all—it's typically neutral or Arnold type, rever, you know, rotating with the hand. Because that's the full range of motion.
2: Right. And you can get that nice tight fist position. So it protects your wrist too, mm-hmm. which is another thing you'll notice like as people break at the wrist, like that's going to put tension there on the wrist. And uh, yeah, for me too. And, and the lower back is definitely exposed whenever you're lifting anything or, sure. overhead. And so this is where, like, that's the first thing I'm, I'm checking to make sure, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as you're lifting, you're not like disconnecting from that process of where now my body. Just you want to extend at at the lower back just mm-hmm. to be able to get that last you know inch or two, and so you just really have to that, s- stay focused. That's on
3: that. why the cue the cue for me when I think of like your game game changer cues uh, for the overhead press were the, the squeezing the glutes and pulling the head through the window. Yeah. That was a game changer for me. It was a game changer for
1: anybody I've ever taught an overhead press. Yeah, and pulling the head through the window, for the people listening who aren't familiar with that, that's literally you have a barbell up above your head. It is directly up above your head. Mm-hmm. Your, your head, you have... Pushed through that with your head, and the arms are straight up next to your head. You're not in this kind of leaned back, looking at looking the bar. up at the barbell where it's in front of your body, which you see a lot of. You people shouldn't doing. be able to see the bar. Yeah. No, it's it's straight up above your head uh, with with your head going what they say through the window. Yeah. Great cue.
3: No, it's it's was a game changer for me because I again fell into that camp too. Even when I started to, to push full range of motion. I would, I'd still want to look up you and and if you're again, pushing from that rounded f- shoulder forward position, the bar is like up and in front of you a little bit versus up straight up above your head and your arm. I'm looking for, I want my ears to be in line with my arms. So the window is your arms, right? Your arms connected to the to the barbell makes a frame of a window. And so you press up, and then you want to pull your head through the frame. And while you're cueing that, you're also cueing to squeeze the butt. So that's what's going to support the low back, like Justin's saying. So keeping my butt squeezed is going to help support the low back. And then me pulling the head through the window is then going to retract my shoulders back and then put me in that nice the position. The
1: difference between the, 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 the less effective, uh, like it's could say, old-school bodybuilder way of doing the overhead press and the proper way of doing it Really, is this when, when the old bodybuilder way of doing it is you know, use a lot of weight and don't fully lock out, weight's almost in front of you a little bit. In fact, I've seen bodybuilders slide their hips forward and they're actually hitting chest along with their shoulders. It actually looks like a really high incline when you watch them do a press. Now, an overhead press, a real overhead press that's going to yield you the best benefits, actually uses more mid back than it does chest because mm-hmm. the weight is up straight up above your head and that requires your mid back to stabilize and pull the shoulder blades back. And I noticed that the first time I did that. The first time I started working out that way, I was like, whoa, this is more shoulders and mid-back than it was the way I was doing it before, which was more front-delt and almost upper-upper chest. Um, and as far as function is concerned, you want to be able to get that full range of motion. So the head through the window was just an absolute uh, game-changer. The other one was with laterals. Um, that I used to teach people. This one I actually learned from Arnold Schwarzenegger. So when I read the you Encyclopedia Bodybuilding, which you guys got to see, how great was that? It's huh? in the chopper. Yeah, that was a great book. Yeah. Um, in that book, Arnold talks about when he does laterals that he pretends like he has uh, two jugs of milk in mm. his hands. And he dumps them out. And he's trying to pour them out at the top. And so what ends up happening is your pinky rises a little bit higher than your thumbs. Now now why is that important? Why is that an important cue with a lateral? It's not because the hand really has anything to do with the shoulder. It's not rotating or it's not rotating your wrist. But when you do lift with the pinky, it tends to get you to keep your elbows up in line with your hands because one of the, one of the, the big mistakes that people make when they do a lateral is they lift the weight up and the hands are higher than the elbows and they do this kind of external rotation with their arm. It looks almost like a high row or something like that. So you want to you want to pull up with the pinkies, and when you do that, and you got to go lighter when you do that, you will feel it more. And This in is the another del- one of those
3: cues that you can get. You can go back and forth with academia. Oh people. yeah, they don't like that because yeah. that
1: that rotate that rotation doesn't. Have, but um, if you want to feel the side deltoids. That's the way to do it. Yeah, you know, know, is that kind of That's why I, I
3: like that one too. I like that one cuz it pisses everybody off. <laughs> it pisses everybody of off. Yeah, that one's Well, to between
2: argue. that and, and what you've shown the world with uh planks and and how we get in the proper position to really enhance uh, the ab involvement uh, within uh you know planks. That, that was Ever the, since that, by that the way, great.
1: people teach planks now you see it all over the place now. Yes. Yeah. It was yes. a, it was the it first like active place.
3: It was our first, you know, quote unquote viral video that we did on YouTube when when we put that out there. I love that video. That was a game changer for me also. I mean, uh I know we're talking about shoulder stuff, but you know, since you transitioned there, Justin, that that understanding like when, when you, even as a trainer, I remember teaching a plank and being like, oh, this is important for your core. Like, okay, and that's what you say. And then you just have clients do it. And then when you'd walk around and you see trainers doing it with clients, like, all these planks look like shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it turns into things like what, what it ends up like, is people. Oh, my lord, And endurance. An yeah, endurance exactly. Movement. Endurance. People just want to see, oh, I can hold a plank for one minute. Oh, three minutes. Oh, I can hold it for five minutes. And it's just like, they, they start getting focused on how long they can hold their body in that position, not what exactly are they doing while they're in that position. Yeah. And most people are, are putting all the stress on the low back or your shoulders. And so the cue of the tucking the tailbone, which looks – weird for for most people that you've seen do planks and it, and you're kind of exaggerating the opposite it's you know what it reminds me of? it reminds me of my cue of stick the butt out it's the opposite of that yeah it's the opposite yeah. of that right yeah. so but it's you're you're exaggerating a movement so much cuz you know that that's going to help 90% of the people that have ever done this plank. That's how I feel about the back exercises. Sure, there's going to be that that one that one girl who has that excessive arch in her low back that's so excessive that you don't want to teach her to stick her butt out more because she's going to feel shearing in her low back, but she's the 1%. The rest of the population kind of tucks their tailbone, and then the opposite yeah. is true in a plank.
1: In a plank, it's, it's, what ends up happening is because they have weak abdominal and oblique uh, muscles of their core – is their their hip flexors end up pulling on their low back? Low back shortens and tightens, um, and they're supporting themselves with their psoas muscles and their low back. And their core is in this lengthened, partial stabiliz- stabilize stabilised position. And they hold it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, okay, no, no, let's tuck the tailbone, squeeze the abs, and you know, before you know it, they're there. They can barely do it for 20 seconds, right? Because they're hitting the muscles and and activating the muscles that they need to work. Oh no, the, the plank can be a very good core exercise if done properly that's what brought me to do active planks because mm-hmm. I would see people do this and I'm like you know you can actually turn this from a stabilizing exercise to a doing functi- it with reps yeah like a reps and the way you do it is you know you, you keep your upper body up you let the hips drop which will naturally arch the back and then when you pull your body up off the floor again you tuck them again mm-hmm. and so what you're literally doing is reps with your abs right. with this active plank yep. and it that by the way, is one of the single most effective ab exercises if you do it right it's actually very difficult you're looking at maybe 10 reps uh if you're really really strong so Mm -hmm. it's a very effective one but that's that's the big one with the abs is i think people when they're working their abs they don't realize the function of the abs where the the full function of the abdominals is to bring the rib cage closer to the pelvis it's to it's to round the lower back. That's when it's squeezing. It's not to fold the body forward. Mm-hmm. Folding the body forward can involve the hips. The abs don't do that at the hips. Right. And so when you see people do things like leg raises or sit ups, what they're doing is they're just bending at the hips, and it's it's a lot of well, that's it, the
2: distinctive difference, and and that's something too that's that's tough to like. So when you're trying to teach a hip hinging type of a movement, like that's something that you want to then. Um, help to give provide feedback, and so for me, I've I've used tools, and this is one of those where I'm like I, I love having a stick for being able to teach people how to hip hinge properly, just to be able to see if they can then try to actively press their lower back into the stick. As then now you karate chop, which I, I think Salemi might have taught me that one. But or you chop them, you in the chop hips. chop at the hips, and so their hips actually are pushing back. Um, But there's you're you're keeping and maintaining contact Mm -hmm. with your lower back on that stick. And then and then, you know, the other points with your the nodule of your head and then, you know, in between your back. Um, But, yeah, to to get them to then fold, you know, fold, but keep that tall chest as they're folding down is something that, you know, takes work. So either it's uh, the horizontally I could place. Uh, the you know the the stick across their shoulder blades and have them hold that way to keep a nice open chest or vertically uh, down their spine so that way now it, it's all about the lower back feedback
1: yeah and that's for the hip hinging which yes. is what you don't want to do when you're working your you abs. don't want to do it's the opposite it's yeah. the opposite of that right. and but they're both important things to understand because why is a hip hinge so important well if I'm doing any bent over rowing movements I need to know what a hip hinge if I'm doing a deadlift or if I'm doing a stiff legged deadlift. That's how I learned how to hip hinge. I learned how to first hip hinge with a stiff legged deadlift because I would see Romanian deadlifts in the magazines and I'd be like, I don't feel this in my my hamstrings at all. I feel this on my lower back. Mm-hmm. Um and then one of the people working out the gym with me so years ago goes, Oh, as you bend over, stick your butt out. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was like boom, right in the hamstrings. I was like, oh, yeah. there's a difference. Like it's not just bending forward it's where I bend. That's
3: why I like that cue so much, and I can't stand when I get into it with uh, guys about that because it's like, dude, when you, you've trained enough people that cue helps more people than it hurts. And I know there's this exception to the rule that if you if you're right, like if you have someone who's excessively arching, that you will feel that. But that's right. If you if you feel shearing there, then you're not that mm-hmm. person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you're that one percent that already has it excessively arched, But everybody else tends to route when they bend. It's just natural. You tell someone to bend over. And we tend to just round. Like if you right now just had you threw something, you threw a quarter on the ground, and said pick it up. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. slides their hips out. You know, nobody hinges at the hip and they then does bend that.
1: however their body. Yeah, wants. They, yeah. they just
3: <laughs> round over. So what makes us think it's any different just because it's a hundred something pounds that's on a bar below? But yeah. You tell someone to do that. That's their natural. Yeah, one thing path.
2: Well, too, like with a Romanian deadlift for me, because you want to keep like a soft knee, like a like a bent knee, but it's a bent fixed. But fixed. It's fixed. So that that whole fixed mentality of keeping. So my knee is is literally going to stay right there while the rest of my body moves around it. So I'm trying to like move my hips in a certain angle so I can perform the movement, but my knees, uh, never travel forward. They never travel, you know, travel back. It's, it's right there in my, the, 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 that natural bend is that where the hip goes is where the bend happens. So that's,
3: that's a really good point and cue. Um, that reminds me of all the clients that I've trained doing any sort of a deadlift or a row is, I would, I would get them in that position. They'd be standing upright. I would kneel down right next to them. I'd put my hand where I'd want, I would want want their knees to go, and then I'd be like, bend, bend at your knee, just a soft bend in the knee. Don't let your – Keep it there. Yeah, and I'd, I'd give my hand there so they can get the feedback of keep it fixed there so it shouldn't move, mm-hmm. and then it's to the stick the butt out, now bend over. And then you tell someone that, and they tend to fold over to the nice neutral spine right where you want them to be.
1: It's funny because um, – you start to take this for granted when you're working you know, with people and you understand your body, you know how to move, uh, just how disconnected people can be from their muscles. And, and I got reminded of that. Uh, it's been maybe two years or three years now um, when we first met um, Dr. Brink. And he you know, broke us down and really where he blew our mind was with our feet because this was an area that really none of us had ever considered before, mm-hmm. uh, all the muscles and strength and musculature of the foot and how disconnected we are from our foot and how important that is for stabilization. I remember Dr. Brink showing me a movement called short foot. Now short foot is when your foot is on the floor flat and you're literally shortening your foot by flexing the muscles that make up the kind of in the arch of your foot. Now it's not curling your toes forward, so you're not like rounding your foot or whatever like you're trying to grab something. It's literally flexing the muscles in the arch of the foot to to shorten the foot. Now I remember him telling me to do this and I'm sitting there and I'm like I have no literally no idea it's what like you're the talking Cat about.
2: stretch but for your foot. Yeah,
1: I'm like yeah. I have no idea what you're doing. I I, I I can't do it. And he's like no no, no flex this muscle. Can't do yeah. it. He shows me with his foot. And I'm like wow, that's possible. How is that possible? I can't I do that. I, that. I can't do that. It's <laughs> I like I had no connection to it which is a good example of what happens to a lot of people and a lot of
3: other muscles everything yeah. yeah
1: i remember when i did that i was like god this is this is what people feel when i'm trying to teach them how to activate their glutes or their lats or their chest or whatever they just have no connection and so this is where that whole mind to muscle connection becomes so important practicing your form and technique is also equally important all this stuff is important but these cues make such a big difference so the cue that he gave me uh with that was he said uh Pull your toes up a little bit and try and grab something with your with the middle of your foot. Like a marble. Like a marble. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I think that's where it is. Right. Um, but it was so frustrating to me. I literally practiced every day. All, like with my shoes on, I would just pra- I still do it to this Did day. Did you like, ever get it? I, I could I get it. I can still do it. I can do it a little bit. But I've practiced daily yeah. ever since then because it was such a terrible connection. No, I'm terrible there. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, uh, these are important cues that I think people, are there any other you guys can think of? I, I, I knew of one for bicep. Here's a, here's a good okay. one for bicep. What You don't normally think to yourself like that people need a special cue for bicep, just curl the weight. But one thing that a lot of people do is they curl their wrist mm. when they're curling a weight because, mm. again, they're thinking, bring the weight up. Right. And so what I would tell sometimes that people is I'd tell people to cock their wrist back a little bit. So just pull your wrist back just a tad, keep it there. Now curl the weight. Yeah, lead with your palms. Lead, yeah, lead with the the heel of your hand almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And boom, they would feel it in their biceps. Just cock it. They would. Yes. Yeah. I learned that one from Arnold. I, I,
3: the bicep one is is uh, is one that uh, again I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep throwing all the controversial ones because those are my favorite. to talk to the ones that everyone gets mad about. Um, we know the action of the the bicep. We know that the the front of the shoulder shoulder is involved in full flexion of the bicep, but. What happens with the average person that does bicep curls, because we are all in this forward shoulder position, we already are, are taking over the movement with our shoulders more than we should be. So cueing somebody to retract the shoulders and keep the shoulder blades peeled back, and then I used to cue the elbows by your side, and I used to tell people, okay, now that your shoulders are peeled back, your elbows are down by your side, pretend as if you had a rod. That goes through your elbows, through your midsection, and through the other the elbow on the other side, and you can't leave from that rod. So it's it keeps you in that position, and then get your do your full bicep curl. And what that does is it it keeps them from rolling the shoulder forward to mm-hmm. get the dumbbell up even higher, which I love teaching this cue just because I know it pisses off everybody that really understands the mechanics of the bicep and know that the shoulder mm. does play some more, some of the function. But the problem with that is most people— You don't
1: need to work on that with beginners. Right. Yeah, that's going to happen. Right. Yeah.
3: And, 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 and that's always my response is like, listen, dude, this isn't for you. If you're somebody that understands the function of the bicep that well that you can debate me over this, go ahead and roll your shoulders a little bit in your bicep curl and you're probably going to be fine. But the 90-something percent of the people that I've had to coach and teach how to do a bicep curl— can't even curl it without their elbows swinging back and forth and their shoulders rolling completely forward. And many, many times – they feel more of it in their shoulders than they even yeah. do in their That's bicep. That's the biggest
2: thing, yeah, you're trying to address with beginners is the swinging of,
3: of the arms forward, which right. you
2: see all the time. That's very common. Because it's yeah. natural. Like yeah. Again,
3: going to Sal's point about how the body just naturally kind of lifts up on its toes when you try to read something over its head. Well, when you curl something in the body. curling
1: it, your wrist. You're yes, curling or your or shoulders. Yes, Yeah,
3: everything closes in and rounds forward. Yeah. And so what happens? The shoulders take over, the forearms and the wrists take over, and then they feel like I don't feel it in the bicep very much. So Or if it you, hurts
1: my shoulder right. or it hurts my wrist.
3: So by placing placing my client into this very strict position where I retract the shoulders, I keep the elbows pinned by the side, and then tell them to come all the way up, they feel that...
1: Here's another good one. Curl with your pinky with the bicep exercise. Right, You right. know, the bicep you not, doesn't lead, just... Lead with the pinky. Yeah, it doesn't just flex the elbow. Uh, it rotates. also twists the hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, And this works with a barbell, too, by the way. If you have a barbell, pretend like you're putting more pressure on the pinky side of your hand as you're curling... And if it now for some people, this may bother your wrist, but if you feel fine, try this and watch the squeeze you get in the biceps because you're creating more tension in the biceps to do more of its functions, one of which is you know twisting and supinating the hand. What about squatting or doing a squatting type motion? Do you guys have any cues? Because one of my favorite ones for clients used to be, and like I said, I would train a lot of uh, people in older age, and my goal was always to get them to be able to do a barbell squat. Uh, but in, in nine, nine out of 10 of them, actually 10 out of 10 of them wouldn't be able to do it right out the gates. And so I would have them do lunges as the first exercise. But one of my favorite ways to do that is I'd have them hold on to a bar, a stationary bar. So if I had a Smith machine nearby or a barbell, I could put in a rack, Mm -hmm. I would have them hold that with their right hand, stand sideways to it. Then they would step forward with the right leg. So same hand forward, same leg forward. And I place their left foot back and put them in a stationary lunge beginning position. So now they have a split stance, but they're holding on to something for balance because a lot of them will have poor balance in this position. And then what I'll tell them to do is I'll put a pad, a thick pad underneath where their left knee would go down and I'd say, kneel. That's it. I'd say, hold on to the bar and kneel with control. They kneel and I'd say, now stand up. And it would just put them in the proper lunge position as i got stronger with that then it was able for the, it was easier for me to progress them to the other squat you know positions
3: well i, that's, I like that's why i like the the kneeling to a stand-up because they're already when you have their knees down on the ground and then you tell them to swing their hips up and then just get up it kind of does that same thing it puts them in that position but i also liked that for many years i used uh the single leg stand-up off of a bench for like helping somebody properly uh Hip hinge. So mm-hmm. nice that when when you're, when they're balancing on one leg, <clears throat> it's already hard, right? So if you got a client, and, and normally I could do this with all ages. So if it's somebody who's much older and weaker, I allow them to kind of hold my hands, and so I'll stand in front of them, and they're and they're holding onto my hands, and then I tell them to balance on one leg, so they're balancing on one leg, and then I tell them to sit down. And it's funny when they're when you're having to balance, and then you tell someone to sit down. <clears throat> that's the body does tend to want to go into what will keep the weight evenly distributed and which also creates good mechanics. This mm-hmm. is also why I and like... They're more likely. Well, it works on their leverage too so their upper
2: body naturally has to fold exactly. a little bit Yeah, to keep them balanced from falling behind them. To stay, balanced. Exactly. To them, stay yeah.
3: balanced they have to let the chest equally come forward as the hips slide back and it actually kind of throws them into this nice... Which is the hardest thing to teach in the squad is really to get
2: that balance mm-hmm. and that simultaneous sort of bend of the knee and uh, you know sliding back of the uh-huh. hips to right. happen at the same time. And then
3: it also teaches them to cue the butt when they get up because they're in this deep 90 degree position off of a bench and i'm standing there and i'm holding their hands and i say okay now get up out of this and they naturally drive off their heel and their butt and what i like about that too
2: is um you know on the way up too you can cue like like not using momentum so like yeah so that's that half the battle of that is for them they want to really excessively lean forward and swing their arms and you know pull themselves up but to be able to just stand up they have to engage uh you know their glutes and really drive that heel into the ground
1: yeah that that's a good one, um, and then just regular box squats. No barbell, nothing. In fact, I would uh, I, I would very rarely put a barbell on someone's back when they did box squats first time. Yeah, I would have them either reach forward with their hands like they're a zombie. I tell them, sorry, hey, reach forward with your hands like you're a zombie, and I put a box or a bench behind them, and then I tell them to sit down softly. So in other words, don't just sit down and plop down, but yeah. sit down and barely yeah. sit down, and then fully sit down, and then while maintaining your hands forward, Stand up. And it teaches people to squat. It teaches them to to kind of throw their hips back. So
3: that's a a good point you just made right now because it reminds me if I had to fix something or cue something else when I was teaching the single leg squat is... Uh, The habit that people have that you're doing this movement is when they go to sit down, they'll just plop down and their their core will collapse and they round forward. So I I would cue them to keep the chest up high and the abs tight and don't let your don't fold over. Mm -hmm. So don't fold over. Sit down slowly as you sit down. Keep the abs tight and sitting up tall and straight. Don't relax the core. And fall over and so you teach them to do that it's just
1: so important to communicate to people that they're learning new things they're they're learning new ways of moving they have to create new neural pathways they're learning a new skill now why is this important it's important because most people don't think of exercise as a new skill they think of it as a way to get sore and sweat they think of a workout as that, Mm -hmm. versus if I'm teaching you how to rollerblade, the sweating aspect of it is a side effect. You're thinking of the skill. Like, okay, teach me how to rollerblade. Teach me how to balance. Teach me how how to stop. Teach me how to speed up. It's no different when you're exercising. And so, all of these cues, all of these things that we're talking about, if you're a trainer, they work great for your clients. But if you're not a trainer, they work great for yourself. And remember that you're learning. You're learning a new skill and practice the skill as such as it 's uh, because it 's a skill and w- and you 'll end up making better decisions, it will direct you in a, in a in a more appropriate way with your workouts versus the mentality where i 'm going to the gym and it 's a means to an end like i 'm doing all these movements, but really the goal is just to sweat and right. feel sore. And when you do that, then it, then you're right. You, you take the, the you take the mentality that it doesn't matter mm-hmm. that your form and technique don't make a big difference because it's just the means to an end. You rush through
2: it, and then there there's certain parts of the exercise that are you know are like we call it the intent of the exercise like it, it gets lost because it's it just becomes about how can I get through this mm-hmm. and, and I got to make you know like I get I got to do a certain amount of reps and um, and you lose a lot of what the value the true value of you is you
1: are learning how to work out every single time I don't care how advanced you are you're always yeah. perfecting the skill of working out part of that is feeling what you need to feel Part of that is perfecting your form and your biomechanics. Um, and the side effect of that is the workout. It's, it's a different mentality, but it, just like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, how you perceive things makes a massive difference. If you perceive your workouts as just a means to an end to sweat and get sore, you're going to go down a path that probably is going to lead you more towards failure, uh, injury, um, just not good results. Um, if you go into it with the mentality of perfecting the skill of it, Uh, you're much more likely to have success doing it. And with that, look, if you go to mindpumpfree.com, you can download any one of our guides for free. We have guides on everything from how to squat better to developing more muscular or more sculpted arms, working your midsection, how to lose body fat. We have a guide there for personal trainers. If you want to be a successful personal trainer, there's a good section in our personal trainer guide on uh, how to uh, sell more personal training. It's a very important part of being a successful trainer. All those guides and more can be found at
0: mindpumpfree.com. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic